The scripture for today's sermon comes from Jude 17 to 23. The word of God speaks to us. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire, and to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This is God's word to us. Thank you, Ashley. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at Frontline in Edmond. And uh, as usual, we're going to continue in the book of Jude. Uh, This is our third out of four sermons going through this short but really powerful, profound letter to the early church. Uh, Let's pray together with one another for one another, me for you, you for me. So I'm really aware, Heavenly Father, of just all the ways that you are really good to us in this moment. Like getting to celebrate all those babies that were up here. They're a gift to, to, to their mommies and daddies. They're a, they're a gift to us as a church. This moment is, is a gift to us that we get to be here with one another, with your word. Spirit of God, you're here with us. If we're in Christ, you're in us. So in, in light of all we have to be thankful for, we ask that, that you would help us that we would see your word truly, Spirit of God, that you would help us understand the good news of who Jesus is, what he's done. And we know that you're speaking, so would you help us hear and, and help me help my friends see the beauty of, of what you call us to as a church in Christ Jesus. It's Jesus in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me find Jude here. Revelation, flip back. All right, there we go. I was thinking this week that every great athlete, like every, every athlete that has experienced any level of excellence, anybody that I had a poster hanging on my wall as a, as a child, any hero, anybody that we look up to, like behind every great athlete in a real way is a gifted, a kind, a loving, a patient, a gifted, a great coach. There's tons of examples, right? You got the, the Williams sisters, Serena and Venus, and they had their dad, Richard. Behind Michael Jordan and all his success was Phil Jackson. I'm aware in this moment, this is my second Sunday in a row referencing Michael, Jack, or Michael Jordan, which reminds me that my wife, when she was a child, asked her dad who was a better basketball player, Michael Jackson or Michael Jordan. <laughs> George St. Pierre. Had Faraz Sahabi, that reference is just for you, Brett. You can thank me later. Jackie Joyner, probably greatest American athlete of all time, had Bob Kersey. He was such a good coach, she married him. That's how excellent he was. The point is this, that, that Jude, he's writing this letter 
The Apostle Jude is writing this letter to the early church because he, as a, as a gifted pastor, as a great leader, he desires in his direction and in his love and in his inpouring to this church. Remember, this, this letter is written in love, from love. He is in a real way in these verses that Ashley just read for us. Jude, it's like he's putting on his whistle as a great coach to direct, to give guidance for the church, the early church and, and the church today because his heart is a reflection of God's heart that desires us to be a great church. See, the foundation, the charge, the very heart of Jude's letter is a call to the church in verse 3 to, if you remember, contend for the faith that was once delivered for all the saints to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to all the saints. And that word contend, as we've looked at in weeks previously, that is, is packed full of meaning in other places in the New Testament, like in Paul's letters to, the, to Timothy, that, that same Greek word is translated to fight, to fight the good fight, to contend. The word historically is associated with athletes, with athletes that would participate in the ancient Olympic Games, and specifically athletes that would engage in the most intense competitions like wrestling or fighting. This word contend means to engage, to actually suffer well for a noble cause out of passion or zeal. So Jude is calling the church to contend. Why? And, and for what purposes? Well, he, he brings us back to... The stakes, really, here in verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They, the apostles, said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. And the Jude says, it's these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. So when Jude says in the, in the last time, he's talking about, and again and again, this is in the New Testament, this, this term, last time or last days, this is a period of time from the resurrection of Jesus Christ to his second coming. It's a period of time this early church lived in, and it's a period of time that we still live in, waiting on the promises of God to be fulfilled. And Jude is saying, until Jesus comes back, we're going to face the danger of false teachers who, as he said earlier in Jude, creep into the church and mislead the church. And the stakes are high. There's a present danger that, that as these false teachers sneak into the body of Christ, there's a real danger. In, and Jude's writing with urgency and intensity and necessity. Remember, he said, I wanted to write to you about our common salvation, but I found it necessary to write to you to contend, to fight, because... These false teachers are, are bringing about the threat of, of many things, but one thing that Jude points to here specifically is it's these who cause divisions. Now, if you look at Jesus' high priestly prayer in the book of John and his prayer the night before, he, he goes to the cross. He expected, if you read that prayer in John 17, he expected the church to grow, and he prayed to his heavenly Father that the church would be unified. 
And so Jude, with the the heart of Jesus, is saying, you need to fight for the unity of the church. You need to contend for your personal faith in Jesus. You need to contend for the family of God. And so with all this in mind, and looking at what Jude has already taught us here, he gets not to like the PS of the letter, the postscript, not to like an appendix or the caboose that he's attaching on the end. He's getting to what he's been building to, which is the answer to how we contend. He's calling us to fight. And what he's saying in these verses is is how we fight. It's the climax. It's the summit. It's where Jude's been longing to take us the whole time. And so we're going to work our way through these verses and see how the Apostle Jude is calling the church to contend. And the first thing we see is that we contend for the faith by building ourselves up, building yourself up in the faith. That's the first thing Jude tells us. And faith in Jude's letter, isn't just like a feeling, but it's rock-solid, objective truth. Faith is doctrines, theologies, the reality of who God is and how God has been fully revealed to us in Jesus Christ, his son. And so Jude says contending begins with building ourselves up in the truth of God. And Jude's word here, building, that word building actually finds its roots in architecture. And so when, when Jude is calling us to build, he's saying that God is giving plans. He, he is calling you to build with Christ Jesus as your foundation. You are like a structure. The language here isn't talking about like a shack or like a small building. It's a tower. And, and Jude, in a real way, is saying, hey, it's the will of God that the church in Christ would, would grow and mature and add floor upon floor and layer upon layer and rise higher upon higher in strength, in knowledge of God for the glory of all to see. When you come up on the church, your eyes should be drawn up and, and invited to gaze upon the truth of heaven. I was reminded this week of just like, well, I guess it would be like maybe 13 years ago when the Devon Tower began to be constructed. And you knew 50 stories, it's going to be tall, but then you actually saw it under construction over that long period of time. But, but slowly and surely, floor upon floor, window upon window, height upon height, it got higher and higher. I remember kayaking on Lake Arcadia and then seeing something and being like, what is that? Be like, oh, that's downtown Oklahoma City. You can see it from here now because the heights at which this building has reached. Jude's saying, hey, that's the picture that we need to hold on to of what it looks like to live out our faith. So that begs the question, well, how do we, how do we grow like that? Well, buildings are, are raised with purpose and planning. They're, they're, they're brought up with effort and action. There's intentionality to grow to greater heights in our faith. And so I'm asking myself questions like this this week as I'm exploring and digging into the scripture. Like, how have I, have, how have I had plans and how do I currently have plans for my, my spiritual growth? We're here. That's beautiful. That's important. Are we in community? Are we in discipleship groups? How are we taking action for our spiritual growth? How are, being, how are floors being added to my spiritual life like Judas calling me to? Where can I take encouragement? Like, where in the last year have you developed spiritual friendships that help you walk in faith with Jesus? What scriptures have you committed to heart and, and come to understand to greater depths for the glory of God and for your good? 
How have you grown in, in generosity and service over the last year? Think about that and, and be invited to take encouragement. Are there doctrines, truth about Jesus that you didn't have a grasp of a year ago that you've come to have a, a greater grasp of? And those, that, that knowledge and truth hasn't just ended in your head, but it's, it's actually made its way down to your heart where your affections has, have grown. Where has sin shrunk in your life? I was thinking this week about, I, I think I got my driver's license in 1997. And as soon as I could, and still to this day, I like, love the city of Dallas, and I would make my way as often as I could down to the city of Dallas, mostly to watch concerts when I was a teenager, as often as my parents would allow me to go down there, which was probably too soon. I was the last child, and they were like, we're tired. But starting in 1997, and even to this day, driving down to Dallas, you pass Gainesville, right? You're driving south, and before you get to Denton, you drive through a little Texas town called Sanger, I believe, and you've seen it. If you're paying attention, you drive down there, and I believe it's to the uh, west that there has always been this giant mansion that has just looked over the years worse and worse and worse. You guys have probably seen it. And I finally, this week, looked. it came to mind for some reason from this verse, and I finally looked into it. And that was built by this family in the late 80s, and it was, had just amazing plans to be a place where they bred and showed horses. There's even like a horse elevator where you could take a horse up to the third row, for, or third, third uh, um, floor for reasons I don't understand. But it, it was a big plan, right? And I'm sure because of the oil bust at that time in Texas and Oklahoma, like, it didn't get finished. And so there were beautiful plans, but it wasn't finished. It wasn't developed. It was a great start, but it, it petered out, and then it just sat there decade over decade. And if I'm honest, there's times in my own spiritual life where I felt like that mansion. Maybe I had seasons where I, I had plans and I had, I had intentions of spiritual growth and I had practices where I, I actually put effort and intentionality towards growing up into the knowledge of God. As Jackie Hill Perry, who does a great job teaching this book, she says, hey, you have to know something to be able to defend something. And yet... There have been moments in my life and seasons where I've lapsed from the intentionality and the purpose of, of growing in my knowledge of God so I can defend in my own life and the life of, lives of others that, that truth about who God is. But this is the beautiful story of that mansion, right? I found out this week that somebody actually purchased it in 2020, a young woman, and she's in the process of renovating, if she hasn't done it already, that long abandoned place, and it's going to be a wedding venue, and now it's a place of life and love. There'll be Moments of joy and life and unity there. And that's the invitation of the Holy Spirit to us today. Perhaps you find yourself in this moment like I've been in the past where you feel abandoned and neglected by yourself with the intentions of growing spiritually. To adding growth to the, the building that God desires for you to be. And yet, the invitation is to experience renovation to have the Holy Spirit come and, and invite us and lead us into ways where we can, can once again grow. So this summer, we're going to focus on ways we can do that together. We're going to be in a series called Rhythms of Grace. 
And we're going to look at disciplines and practices that help us grow in our knowledge of God. Things like prayer and scripture study and community and gathering as a church and solitude and silence and work and rest. And it's not going to be a, a list of spiritual to-dos that are put, us, put upon us as a burden. It's actually an invitation to posture ourselves in ways that we can experience the grace of God. So this is, this is truth. We don't drift into growth like this. We don't drift into growth of our holy faith. We won't accidentally find ourselves rising like the tower we're called to be. If we're not intentional, we don't follow the prompting and the leading of the Spirit, we find ourselves not stronger Christians a year from now. We find ourselves in, in new ways struggling. And so Jude says, hey, contending starts with building ourselves up in the holy faith. Which leads to the second thing. We contend for faith by prayer in the Holy Spirit. I invite you to this week read Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2. This is how the church began. The church was born in prayer in the Holy Spirit. And so, of course, the church should continue in prayer in the Holy Spirit. And now, if you look at the beautiful invitation and charge that we have from the Apostle Paul in in 1 Corinthians uh, 11 and 12 and 13 and 14, he's going to talk about communion, but he's going to talk about the gift of of spiritual gifts and how we can earnestly desire praying in the Holy Spirit in amazing ways, like the gift of tongues and prophecy and these these gifts. And and Jude is talking about that, yes, but he's talking about more than that. We as a church want to earnestly desire those things for our edification, but Jude Dude, his, his charge here is wider than that. He's talking about a, a spirit-led prayer in every way, praying in harmony with the spirit as he leads us, that every believer, we have the spirit indwelling and, and the Holy Spirit, he convicts us of sin. He helps us love Jesus more. God, the spirit helps us understand scripture. God, the spirit gives us gifts, him working in us and through us for the common good, to bless others and serve one another. And Jude says, hey, to contend, to fight for the faith, means that we live lives, prayerful lives, dependent on God the Spirit. Not drafting on our own plans or relying on our own power, but we, we pray in the Spirit listening. We pray in the Spirit being filled up. We pray in the Spirit being empowered. And so a question that I'm considering that I invite you to consider is, hey, how am I praying in the Spirit as I seek to contend for the faith? And one thing that I'm trying to grow in, even in these last few weeks, that I feel an invitation from the Spirit to grow in, it it plays out like this in my life. And I know you guys don't do this, so maybe you don't relate, but I find myself speaking to somebody I love or somebody I care about, somebody I'm in relationship with, and they share some need or I'm aware of some area that we want God to move in their life. And I say something like, I will pray for you. And if I'm honest, I don't always remember to pray for them. I'm distracted by my own stuff and my own laziness or just my own forgetfulness. And so the sweet thing that I feel God doing in my life is like, hey, when somebody actually you're aware of a way that you can pray in the Holy Spirit with somebody you love, like, hey, just do it then. Do it in the restaurant. Do it at community group right then. Do it in the hallway in passing, but just I'm having these sweet moments with people that I care so much about where I say, hey, can we just pray about that right now? And it is profoundly powerful in my life and in theirs to just say, hey, 
We love God, and we can go to God together, as Peter says, in humility, casting our cares upon him because he cares for us. Celebrating his goodness. It might just be a prayer of thank, thank God for that. Let's stop and pray gratitude. Or it might be prayers of just heartbreak and lamentations. This is sad. Let's just go express our, our grief together. The third thing Jude wants us to see is we contend for the faith by waiting for the mercy of Jesus. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus that leads to eternal life. Now Jude, he's talking about waiting here, and we, we contend by waiting, but we don't contend by waiting like with our fingers crossed. Hey, I hope this plays out. Like I'm, I'm waiting to see if what I really hope for is actually going to come to fruition. No, it's a, it's a hope that's, that's coming about by a waiting, knowing that, that we really are counting on the, the promises of God because God is a promise keeper. It's a hope that has assurance that, hey, what God has said is going to come about will come about, and I am standing firm in hope, anticipating fully the truth of God's promises being fulfilled. Judas calling the church to live in a, a, a life that's defined by hope with the long view of the goodness of God in our hearts. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life means waiting on unimaginable goodness that we do not deserve and haven't earned, but is freely given to us because of how good our King Jesus is. And that goodness he has given us is life that has conquered death that we get to experience eternally. And so waiting for mercy is is powerful. I've got a friend that's like a a mentor to me, and he's in his 70s, and he's a pastor. And he told me this story uh, several months ago about his, his children. He has four children, and there was a time where he took them on a trip. They lived in Colorado at the time, and it was a surprise family vacation, and his kids who were like in you know, late elementary school or junior high at the time, they didn't know where they were going. And so they were driving, and they'd never been to the beach before. And so they were driving from Colorado to the beach in Florida. So the kids knew they were taking a family trip, but they didn't know where they were going and what they had in store. And so for like the 20-plus hours they were driving from Colorado to Florida, the kids just complained the whole time. There was like just hellacious parent prison of just whining and when are we going to get there and bickering and fighting and I'm going to pull this car over. And it was just like a because the kids didn't know what they had in store. And so once they got there, they were blown away by the beauty and and the wonder of the beach in Florida. They'd never seen anything like it. So a few years later, they take the same trip again, right? And this time, (laughs) it's not 20 hours of whining and fighting. It's 20 hours of hopeful anticipation. I cannot wait till we get there. And with the destination in mind where they knew and they had grasped and they had tasted the beauty of where they were going, the journey was altogether different because it was a journey of hopeful anticipation because they knew the goodness they had in store. That's what Jude is saying, that, hey, remember the goodness that you have in store in Christ Jesus because that changes everything. If you're facing suffering right now, which most of us are, and if we're not now, we will Experiencing that suffering and how we live in the midst of that suffering is profoundly changed if we're waiting on the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. 
knowing that one day all things will be made new. When we're fighting with sin and we have a crossroads and one way is, is obedience and allegiance to our king whose commands we're following because we love him, and the other way is just choosing to rebel and, and follow our own sinful passions and desires, and we're at that crossroads and we're teetering, but we wait and hope and we say, hey, I know that right now this seems like it's going to fulfill my needs, but ultimately I remember that, that there is goodness on its way that's greater than just a temporary fulfillment, that that's a broken cistern that's poisoned water that will make me sick, but my, my thirst for goodness and fulfillment is ultimately going to be quenched now in Christ Jesus and forever in Christ Jesus, and I have joy unimaginable on the way in him, waiting for the mercy of Jesus, Jude says, is how we contend for the faith. And all that builds up to this fourth thing that we see. We contend for the faith by keeping yourself in God's love. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And commentators tell us that, that like, out of everything Jude is saying in these verses so far, that this is actually the command. This is the imperative that building ourselves up and praying in the Holy Spirit and waiting for the mercy of our Lord has really been building to this one moment where Jude says, keep yourself in the love of God. This word keep, it means to, to guard, to, to treasure, to hold carefully, to protect. In some way, like keeping is the way that all these mommies were holding these babies up here. There was precious, tender protection but that, that word also can, can mean something way more, you know, defensive in a way where it also brings to mind like rows and rows of soldiers standing in front of an enemy or a fortress that's impenetrable. And so there's different applications to us that I think are all multifaceted here. That the love of God is precious to us and we are called in Christ to guard it in our hearts, to hold it as precious. But moreover, the love of God actually guards us like a fortress. When we, when, when we build ourselves up, when we're praying in the Holy Spirit, when we're waiting for the mercy of our Lord, it's like we find ourselves in a secure tower or fortress and refuge that's surrounded by the walls of the love of God that protect us, the, the might of the love of God that protects us, and we stay safe in the fortress of his love. And it's after this that Jude, he changes course because he's been talking about ways that we, ourselves, we've drawn a circle around ourselves and we've, we're looking at ways that we personally contend. And then he's got three final short things that he, he calls us to contend for, but they're not just related to our own walk. It's how we then begin to fight for the good of others. So five, he says, have mercy on the doubting. See, churches are filled with people that doubt. I, at times, am often filled with doubt. If we're honest, we all, from time to time, if we're really thinking, we're really going to doubt. We're going to doubt about the Bible and faith and sin. And what do we need when we experience a season of doubt? We need to remember what Jesus is like, and we need people around us that reflect his heart of patience and compassion and kindness and move towards us in our uncertainty and our questions. Judas saying, hey, dealing with doubt or wrestling with doubt is not the same as, as being apostate. It's not the same as being like one of these false teachers who's causing disunity. It's just being honest about your struggle. 
Dr. Tim Keller in, in Reason for God, Belief in an Age of Skepticism, he writes this. I've always found it helpful. He says, a faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she has failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. Believers should acknowledge and wrestle with doubts, not only their own, but their friends and neighbors. We see this play out in the life of Jesus again and again. John the Baptist, who Jesus was like, hey, this is like the most amazing man that's walked the face of the earth. He doubted, sent word from prison to Jesus, are you really the one? Or should we look for another? He had a dark night of the soul. He, he had doubt in the midst of his suffering, and Jesus didn't shame him or, or not move towards him. He sent word back, right? And he said, what? The blind see. The sick are healed. Remember when we were in the Gospel of Mark just a few months ago, and that dad in chapter 9 who came with the, the son who is demon-possessed. And he says, I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus didn't shame him or push him away, but he, he healed his son. He moved towards him. And Thomas, Thomas, <laughs> all his friends said, we saw Jesus alive, resurrected. And Thomas said, I, I won't believe it till I see it, till I put my fingers in his side. And did Jesus shame him and move away? no. The resurrected Jesus showed up and moved toward him and said, Thomas, here I am. So we want to carry the heart of Christ to one another when we find ourselves in the midst of doubt. Move towards each other in patience and compassion and kindness towards questions and concerns. What about those who have gone beyond mere doubt and have denied that faith or have never had faith the sixth thing we see is we contend for faith by saving others. Jude said, save others by snatching them out of the fire. We read Luke chapter 15. We see Jesus share all these stories, these short, powerful stories that reflect God's heart. He shares a story of a, a shepherd who leaves his flock, 99, to go after one lost sheep. He shares this amazing story of this woman who had 10 coins, and she loses one coin, and she flips her house upside down, right? Cleans everything, looks Oh, every nook, every cranny, she explores until she finds that one coin. She will not give up till she finds it. And then she's so stoked that she does find it. She calls her friends and neighbors and she throws a party, right? Have you ever lost something that was so precious to you? You had to like, when you found it, you picked up the phone and called somebody just to like celebrate with them. What's lost has been found. Jesus says that's what God is like. When, when a sinner repents and, and runs to him, Jesus says in Luke that, Angels witness the Heavenly Father celebrating like that. And Jesus said of himself in Luke chapter 19, I came to seek and save the lost. And so Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. So he's saying, hey, kids should look like their dad. If, if the Heavenly Father is one who seeks and saves the lost and celebrates in amazing and profound ways, when, when people who are lost find the love of God, he seeks and pursues them, that his, that his kids should be about the Father's business. 
See, the stakes of walking away from Jesus are eternally high. This is life and death and eternally life and death. Whether we're going to spend the pre- in our presence in our lives eternally in, in the glory of God as we were meant to live or our lives eternally separated from him, which is so bad we can't imagine the pain and the, the horror. The stakes are so high. And Jesus is saying, when you see somebody who's walking away from, from the love of God, Judas is saying, hey, in urgency and in gentleness, you pray for them. You pursue them and you proclaim truth to them. You beseech them. Hey, this is the, the path of life. This is the truth of, of God who loves you. And then lastly, Jude says, we contend for the faith by showing mercy with fear. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Commentators are going to say that Jude probably has in mind with this, this verse, actually these false teachers who have crept into the church. People that are apostate. People that have denied the kingship of Jesus and are rebelling against him. Jude is saying, hey, have mercy on them, but have mercy with fear. See, throughout the New Testament, there's these like three dangers that are the strongest warnings, the strongest rebukes the early church receives are around three dangers, and it's, it's disunity, it's sexual immorality, and it's false teaching. And in all kinds of ways and in all kinds of warnings, Jesus and the apostles, they're going to come back and warn the church about these th- three things specifically. More than that, but, but that in profound ways, those three dangers. And yet it seems, reading the book of Jude, that all three of those are present in this church Jude's writing to, which is why he has such urgency and such passion and love to warn them. And so he's saying, in light of these things, sexual immorality and false teaching and disunity, brokenness and division where people devour and are against each other in the family of God. When somebody is leading in that and leading people astray, you have mercy towards them. You call them in in love and goodness to, to come back to Jesus. I was reading again one of the most famous sermons of all time, Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of the Angry God. And I was reminded this week that he ends that sermon saying, hey, The doors of mercy are wide open to the house of God, and Jesus stands and he calls all sinners, come. And Jude is saying to to those who are leading people astray, we, we point to the wide open doors of mercy to the house of God, and we say, come, leave your false teaching, leave your lies that you're sowing, repent, come back, there's grace for you, there's mercy for you, but we, we share that mercy in kindness and compassion, but we also do so with fear, fear of God, knowing his holiness, his power that he set apart, that we take the holiness of God so seriously, and fear of the danger of sin that these false teachers are sowing. We need to be cautious Paul puts it this way in Galatians chapter 6. He says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should seek to restore them with a spirit of gentleness. But then he goes on to say, Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And I've experienced this where, and we'll use this as an example. Let's say I'm meeting multiple times with a man who is sinfully failing at his high calling of being a husband. 
And instead of being like we're called to be as a husband in Christ, as, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, instead of loving our brides like Jesus loves the church, which more than but, but no less than looks like being present because God is Emmanuel with us, being sacrificial because Jesus said I came to, to serve and not be served, being spiritually alive because Jesus conquered death. I'm thinking of a specific man that I was pursuing and trying to pastor, and he just was in this dark place of, of pride and accusation and being really critical. He was way more like Satan, an accuser, than Jesus, a servant. And I would sit with him and call him to repentance and open up Scripture, and yet what I noticed is that there was a, a real danger there because sitting under his criticism and his pride, there were moments where that was almost contagious, and I could find myself being cynical or prideful in my marriage and be like, why am I feeling this way? Why am I annoyed or why am I being short? And man, I, I have to recognize that that's not all on him. That's, on, that's in me, right? That's my own sinful heart, and yet there was almost something contagious about continually hearing his pride. And, and what Paul is saying here in Galatians, when he says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted, he's not saying, don't in spiritual maturity seek to restore somebody. But what he is saying is, look, look, there's beauty in calling somebody to repentance because as you speak the truth of God, you hear the truth of God. If you point somebody to Ephesians and talk about the humility of Christ, you too are being reminded of the humility of Christ. Jude is saying, finally, be careful. Be on guard. Even the people that are running in the most profound way again, away from the kingship of Jesus, as you pursue them, you do so prayerfully and humbly, just being aware that that path that they're running down is dangerous, and you pray for strength and a continual reminder of the danger of sin and the holiness of God. As we end, like... What strikes me in this moment is just how impossible all these things are. This isn't just like an easy to-do list. This is, a, this is a significant and high call for the church to live out. And yet, let's look once again at what Jude says in verse 20. But you, beloved, build yourself up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourself in the love of God, and waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus that leads to eternal life. See, we can only contend, we can only have hope to contend as a church by the power of our triune God. The knowledge of who our Heavenly Father truly is, who's been made known to us fully in the person and the work of His Son, Christ Jesus, who, who died and arose to send His Spirit to empower us and, and make us alive again in Him that we can do all these things, not by our own power, but by God's power. It's what he wants. It's what he is doing in and through us. We have that assurance. So let's stand and pray.